Thank you, Nathan. Thank you, Praise Team. Once again, awesome job. Thank you, Charles, for your special this morning, too. That was amazing. I haven't heard that song in a very long time. And you're right, very toe-tapping indeed. We are in John 18 this morning. As once again, we look at the upside-down kingdom. That is what I've titled this sermon. And we're going to talk about what the kingdom of God truly looks like here on earth. And there's a lot. There's a struggle. Start out that way. There is a struggle to try and bring God's kingdom our own way. And there's a problem with that. And that's what we're going to talk about. Uh, one of the greatest villains... And you have to indulge me here because I'm a geek and I'm nerdy like this. Uh, but one of the greatest villains in the Superman comic books is a, is a villain named Bizarro. And Bizarro is a villain who is a clone of General Zod. And if you know the Superman story, General Zod is the arch enemy of Krypton. Uh, who built an army to take over Krypton. And he eventually destroys Superman's home planet, Krypton. And through this process, somehow the story and creators of Bizarro, Bizarro realizes he's, he's not a human, and he finds his way on Earth and finds Superman, and he begins to think that he's Superman. But he's not Superman, he's the complete opposite of Superman. And just like our life in Christ, we're kind of bizarre, if you will. And I don't know if you know this, but Superman was created by two Jewish teenagers back in the 30s to reflect Moses and their theology of who the Messiah was to be. And so Superman is a messianic figure. Bizarro is us. We are called to follow Christ. We are called to imitate Christ, which is what Bizarro tries to do, and he fails miserably every time. And, and so we're, we're kind of the Bizarro character, if you will. And, and this is what it's like with us and our walk with the Lord here on earth trying to bring his kingdom but unlike bizarro jesus has given us his holy spirit to empower us so that we could be more like him but it's our flesh that makes us completely opposite of him so today i want to talk on the points of not of this world and what is truth and so we're in John chapter 18. We're going to begin at verse 33 and read through verse 36 and talk about not of this world. And it reads this, Therefore Pilate entered again into the praetorium and summoned Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, Are you saying this on your own initiative? Or did others tell you about me? And Pilate answered, Am I not? I am not a Jew, am I? 
Your own nation and chief priests delivered you to me. What have you done? So Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. From John 18.33 to the next chapter, 19, verse 15, Pilate refers to Jesus as the King of the Jews five times. Now understand, this is not an admission from Pilate of Jesus' deity. This is mocking the charges that were brought against him. Because remember, the chief priests and the religious leaders of Jesus' day didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah because he did not fit their understanding of who the Messiah would be. So they're trying to put him in a situation where he's going to force his kingdom to come here eternally and fulfill his mission if he's the Messiah. If not, he'll be proven false. And so they, they explained to Pilate that our belief of the Messiah is that he's going to overthrow all the kingdoms of the world to set up his kingdom, including the Roman Empire. So he's a threat against the Roman Empire. And they do this to cause Pilate to ensue the death penalty of Jesus. So Pilate understands it, and he comes in and summons Jesus over and says, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus says, did you come to this on your own, or did others tell you about me? Now Pilate, he has no care whatsoever about the religious philosophies of the Messiah. And he makes it known, but I'm not a Jew, am I? I don't care about this stuff. These are what the people, your own people, brought charges against you on. And so he tells Jesus, I don't care about this stuff, but you've got to answer these charges. So Jesus says, I am a king, but my kingdom is not a threat against any empire here because my kingdom is not of this world and it's not of this realm. The Greek word for world is cosmos. It's where we get our English word cosmic from. And it declares not only the earth, but the entire universe. And when Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world, what he's, he's saying is, my kingdom is not bound to the laws of nature and the laws of this universe. My kingdom is above it, and it extends through, and it's not bound by it. And the word for realm, I gotta look this up in my notes, is entiuthin, which literally means the origin and place. 
And what he's saying here is my kingdom does not originate from this place or from the methods this place uses. And he proves that by saying if my kingdom were of this world, my disciples would have fought these Jews and prevented me from being handed over in the first place. And if you remember, last week we discussed it. They tried to do it. Peter drew a sword, cut off Malchus's ear, and Jesus healed his ear and said, put away your sword. This is not how my kingdom's going to come. Because Jesus knows that the kingdoms of this world are taken and are built and preserved on force and violence. And they're temporary. But his kingdom is eternal. His kingdom is not built on force, is not built on temporary, and is not built on man's methods. So this is what he needs. He says, my kingdom is not of this world, of this cosmos. It's not tied to our nature, and it's unnatural to us. And my kingdom is not of this realm. It does not originate from man's methods or this worldly method. Because his kingdom and authority are separate from this world and are not bound by the things of this world, but they also affect this world. They are also very much a part of this world. And that should cause us to ask, how is it a part of his world? And it's a part of this world by pursuing an intimate relationship with God the Father through his Son, sealed by his Spirit. And his kingdom and authority are bound by God's truth. And he tells us eventually to Pilate, in the passage we're going to read next, and it causes us to ask our next point, what is truth? Pilate asks this very thing. In verses 37 through 38, John chapter 18, it reads this way, Therefore Pilate said to him, So you are a king. And Jesus answered, You say that I'm a king. For this I have been born, and for this I have come into the world to testify the truth. Everyone who hears truth hears my voice. And Pilate said to him, What is truth? And when he said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no guilt in him. So Pilate again has no interest in this religious theology, even from Jesus, of who he is. And he, Jesus responds again, my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is not of this realm. And, and Pilate says, so you are a king. And Jesus' response is not self-incriminating, and it's brilliant. He basically says, I am a king of truth, and whoever pursues truth pursues my kingdom. And again, he's trying to reveal to Pilate the true purpose 
of his kingdom and how his kingdom is going to come. And again, Pilate doesn't care. He says, what is truth? And this question reflects every single one of us here this morning in a different way. We should be asking ourselves, what is the truth of God's kingdom? Understand, Pilate's question reflects our society today about truth. It's relative to our situation. We could do like the news media. We could spin this truth and fit it to our situation every which way but loose. But Jesus is saying God's truth is set. God's truth is fixed. God's truth doesn't change because God doesn't change. And God's truth is eternal. And his truth and the truth of his kingdom is backwards to us. It's bizarro. It's bizarro to us. And the way we gain God's kingdom, Jesus tells us in Matthew, Matthew 16, 24 through 26. I almost said 26, 14 through 16, so I had to make sure. Matthew 16, 24 through 26. Jesus gives us his formula to pursue his godly truth kingdom. And it's this way. He says, then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will man give in exchange for his soul? You know what this tells me? In order to gain God's kingdom, we're going to lose. That doesn't fit this world, does it? What if, what if I told you guys playing football that in order to win the playoffs, you got to lose? What? You're reborn. That's what we're thinking, right? I, know, I, can see it on, I can see it on your faces. You're a moron if you think that we're going to win the playoffs by losing. Why? Because our nature and our method to win is to dominate. Is the, the more aggressive wins in football, right? We've got to dominate. We've got to put force into it and obliterate if we're going to win. That's man's method. But Jesus says you must lose. And again... Let's go back. Let's connect the dots. Why what must we lose? Because God's kingdom is not bound to this nature. It's not bound to our universe. It's not bound to man's methods. It's not of this cosmos. And it's not of this realm. Think about this. The world and realm used is the scientific the science fiction thought of a different dimension. It's of a different dimension than what we're normal to. His kingdom, his will, his purpose. And it's going to be built not by force. 
is going to be built by something more specific. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. So let's talk about that. What is faith? This process of dying to self grows our faith. I want you to understand faith is not a one-time action. It's a continuous action in our life that's built upon the belief of who we feel Christ is. That's faith. And this action that Jesus describes in Matthew 16 that he wants us to do is denying ourselves and taking up our cross. Paul puts it differently. This is crucifying our flesh, our passions, and our desires and subjecting them to Christ. In 1 Corinthians 15, throughout the whole chapter, Paul describes this method as a seed being planted into the ground. And what happens to this seed? And, and understand that when we come to Christ in salvation, we're like that seed being planted into the ground. And what happens? That outer shell begins to pull away. That outer shell is our flesh, our passions, and our desire that causes us to sin against God. This is what we're having to sacrifice. And when that outer shell, if you were to take a seed today and crack it open, you would see a little new life plant inside that's not fully developed. And as long as we're here on earth, that outer shell is splitting away. And it won't be complete until Christ returns again. Whether you're dead or whether you're alive, when he returns, new life is going to spring forth. He talks about it. He says the dead in Christ will rise first. And then those who remain will join them and be with Christ in the air and from there go to his kingdom. That's in 1 Thessalonians 4. So when he returns, that outer shell, if we're alive, in a twinkling of an eye, that outer shell is going to be gone, and new life is going to spring forth quickly. But as long as we're living, it's that slow process of the seed being planted into the ground. And this exudes faith. And faith exudes hope. Mark, I, I'm skipping a couple verses. I'm sorry about that, buddy. <laughs> Hebrews 11.1 1 shows us that faith is an action that's stemmed in hope. And it basically reads this, Faith is the foundation of hope and substance with forensic evidence that is not yet seen. We're, we're like CSI investigators when it comes to faith. We enter into and subject ourselves to God's kingdom and God's purposes, even though we can't fully see it yet, 
and we've entered, we know God is here, but we got to forensically put together how he wants us to live. That's faith. And it's founded in hope. And the evidence, the substance that he reveals to us through that forensic searching. So faith and hope. Those are the first two steps of his kingdom. His kingdom grows through love. You will know that you are my disciples by your love for one another. Not just our love for God. When we have a right relationship with the Lord and we love God with all our heart, all our mind, and our, all our soul, it's going to extend vertically. But it's not going to extend vertically until we're horizontally right with him first. That's how his kingdom grows. That's how his kingdom expands. Do you love God so much that you're willing to love your enemy? That you're willing to love those who despise you? That you're willing to pray for those who despise you? Earnestly pray for those who despise you? God, help me show them your love so that they could be in a right relationship with you so that we could have a right relationship with one another. Are you willing to do that? Because that's his method to grow his kingdom. Let me tell you something. It's a difficult thing to do. It's a hard thing to do. But that's what he's called us to do. That's how we tear down every speculation, every imagination that exalts itself against God is with his love. Jesus, he sees those spirits and he says the only way these spirits can go is by fasting and prayer. Are you willing to love those who hate you and despise you by fasting and prayer for them? That's what he's called you to do. That's how we build his kingdom. That's how his kingdom permeates our world and becomes victorious over our world. There is no other way. And it's not for the weak of heart. It's not passive love. His love is not passive aggressive. I'm passive aggressive. You may be passive aggressive, but he is not. His love is in your face. Man, this is hard. You guys are awful quiet on me this morning. And this is the way his kingdom runs. This is the way we lose ourselves. This is the way we overcome. And in him who overcomes. You should read those statements all throughout Revelation. To him who overcomes. You should see the type of victory we've gained. Because it's, it's beyond anything you could ever imagine. To him who overcomes you. So how? How do we get this faith, hope, and love? By utilizing his weapons. 
his weapons, his methods of fighting this battle is first seen in the armor of God. And it begins with the helmet of salvation and the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, the shoes of the gospel of peace, the word of God. Remember, we talked about this a few months ago. The word of God is the spoken message of what's been written for us. So we combat our flesh, we combat our desires and our passions, and we combat the enemy and temptation with it is written. Amen. And then we speak what we have written for us, the word of God. Another weapon that he has is prayer. Man, that's a powerful weapon. And his weapons don't stop there. His weapons are seen in the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, goodness, and self-control. Against such, there is no law. The law is fulfilled with the fruit of the Spirit. His weapons are seen in the giftings of the Holy Spirit in our lives when we come together as a church and we work together in how he's gifted us, even though we have different gifts, we are united to use our gifts for his kingdom purpose, and we go. And we begin to work the field of the harvest that is beyond the walls of this church. That's where his weapons are. And when we submit ourselves to these weapons, the kingdom of hell will not prevail against it, against his church. That's his kingdom. So how do you partake? How can we partake in this kingdom? In, in closing, again, it begins with the helmet of salvation. Why the helmet? The helmet protects your mind. Salvation begins by submitting to Jesus Christ in salvation. Romans 10, 9 and 10 reads this way, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. Salvation is, is simply put as speaking forth and admitting that we have sinned against God. What does David say when he's approached by Nathan after having an adulterous affair with Bathsheba and killing her husband? He says it in Psalm 51, against you and you alone, Lord, have I sinned. He confesses with his mouth that he has sinned against the Lord and admits that he is far from God and needs his heart renewed and made clean and pure before the Lord. And he believes. He believes that only God can do it. Jesus Christ came, died for our sins, so that we could be in the right relationship with God. Do you believe that? 
we come to his salvation through that confession. I am a sinner. I have sinned in this way against you and you alone. But I believe. I believe that your son Jesus is who he said he is. And he can restore that relationship with you. So I give myself to you. That's what you confess. And that's how salvation is brought. Because 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But there's a part in there that we have to do if we confess. So maybe you're here and you're you're saying, Pastor, I've, I've never made that confession in my life. I try to do good. I try to live good. I know I struggle in that just like everyone here does. But I've never admitted that I need Jesus as my Savior. In a moment, I'm going to pray. And after I pray, I want you to come whisper in my ear. I want to, I want to go through the ABCs of salvation. Because salvation is for you today. Or maybe you're here, Pastor, I prayed that prayer. I was this many years old, however old you were when you prayed that prayer. Could have been yesterday, praise God. But you're struggling. You're struggling and you're fighting his kingdom in your life. Because you're doing things your way and not his way. This is where the helmet of salvation comes into play again. Because Paul says, we are not transformed to our way. We are, we are transformed to his way by the renewing of our mind. Renewing ourselves back to that step of salvation. Father, I realize I am not living in your kingdom and in your purposes, and I need to renew myself back to you here. That is how we continue in our faith and grow in our faith in Christ. And then taking his word and hiding it in our heart that when we're tempted to live out in our flesh again, we recognize it and say, it is written. And what does James 4 say? James 4 says, when we submit to God, we can then resist who? The devil. And what's he going to do? He's going to flee. That temptation is going on. Are you struggling with sin and temptation in your life with things that God has asked you to remove and you've tried everything you can to remove it except for submitting to This is how you gain his kingdom and his will in your life and experience the peace of heaven here on earth. However, the Lord is dealing with you on these things. Let's stand. I'm going to pray and after I pray, you come do business with the Lord. Lord, your word says in Matthew 6, 33, seek first 
the kingdom of God and your righteousness. And it's then and only then that whatever we're lacking to bring your kingdom here on earth and to live your victory here on earth, we do not have to wait until you return and take us to heaven to experience your victory. We can experience right here, right now. But you have called us first to seek you and your kingdom and how you're working in our life. Father God, I don't know what's going on in everybody else's life, but I want to seek you first. I want your way in my life because I don't want you to say, why did you compromise, Nate? I want you to say, well done, good and faithful servant. And the only way I could get that is by seeking you in every aspect of my life, Lord. So hard, so difficult. But yet so easy. It's so easy by recognizing through your word how you have called us to live so that we can submit to it. So, Father God, if there is anything that I pray, whether it is someone coming to receive you and your salvation for the first time, or where it, if it's someone just wanting to renew their mind back to your kingdom purposes, I don't know. But help us submit. Help us submit to your kingdom. Help us submit to your will. Help us be broken so that you can make us smooth. In the name of Jesus.